and welcome to the Literary Sipper Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Beatty Hill, and today, as per usual, we're going to be talking about a lot of literary things, but under the guise of a few of my favorite things. Tis the season, and so many people are gathering up their Christmas lists and trying to figure out what to get people in their lives that maybe are creatives, writing moms, whatever they are. Um, So here to offer you a few little things that I've been enjoying, some that you can go grab at the bookstore, but some that I've just been enjoying watching and and consuming, and I think you would enjoy them as well. Um, Some of them will be familiar to you if you follow uh, me on my website. I've written a blog post about my favorites and also um, sent out a seasonal newsletter. Um, If you're interested in that newsletter, you can, of course, subscribe at my website, ambervdhill.com. I promise not to flood your inbox. You can just um, expect a newsletter about once a season, highlighting some wonderful things that will help spark creativity or make writing work for you and your life and where you are. But today, I mean, there's so many funny mugs and books and stationery um, that you can offer the book lovers in your life. Um, And I can just name a million websites and Etsy shops that I think really do the book writing thing very well in terms of gift giving. But I wanted to highlight mostly the books that I was reading and some shows that I was watching and some podcasts I listened to that I think the people in your life would like as well. And maybe you can curate your own little favorite list to give to somebody um, in your life wrapped in a with a book. You know, you could pick one of your favorite books and then in your card say, these are the three podcasts I love and the three movies that I think you should watch and give them a kind of little to-do list curated by you, and I think that would be a really sweet gift for people. But anyway, let's get started. These are the three books that I really enjoyed this year, and I think you will too. Um, and some of you may have read them. They they are kind. They're not brand new off the shelves that I that you know you may not have gotten to yet. Um, but I think, you know, I don't read like that anyway. I kind of go where the spirit takes me as it as it were. But the first book I'll recommend and probably a book that I was so surprised um, by in the sense that it has quickly become one of my favorites and I recommend it to everyone because it is that special and, and it's definitely in like, if I had to name my top five books of all time, it's going to be up there. And that's Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet. Um, it came out probably at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of right at the time, and people were likening the setting, which is, of course, the 17th century plague days of Shakespeare, to what we were about to encounter. And one of the reasons that I absolutely love this book and love talking about this book is because it is one of the very few books that talk about motherhood in such a powerful and interesting and multifaceted way. There are many mothers in this book. You have Shakespeare's wife, Agnes. Um, of course, many of you know that her name in real, in most of you will know her by Anne, but uh, O'Farrell refers to her as Agnes in this book. And um, Shakespeare's own mother is part of the story as well, Mary. And their dilemmas and their um, memories and their sort of mystical connections to motherhood are all entwined and make for a just powerful sentiment about the fleeting days of being a mother and then also the great sadness of losing a child. And I 
find that in literature, it's very hard to find mothers described in human ways. They are either sort of these powerful matriarchs or these devil mommies, um, or they're funny, they're meant for comic relief, or they're Madonnas, like Marmy and Little Women comes to mind, where they're just so perfect and, and you can never really get at any kind of you can't get a foothold in their character because there isn't one. It's all smooth and shiny. But in this book, um, there's a great deal of powerful world building. And part of that world building is the world of motherhood in this particular historical uh, world. And I think that that's what makes it incredibly powerful. She's also an amazing writer, her mastery. There are sentences that will just absolutely stop you in your tracks. Everything from dialogue to the to the world building to points of view, there is shifting moments and then you're just left with the talent that she has and the work that she put in um, to take herself out of it. The sentences are not so self-obsessed that you need a dictionary to read this book, but they are absolutely poetic. And again, the word masterful just comes to mind. I am so jealous of her ability to propel the story forward with clarity and fluency, but also suspend you just that little bit over the words so that you really feel true art is taking place. And I just wanted to read you a quick section of um, the book and highlight what I mean by these particular moments of motherhood and uh, mastery. So this is on page 164 to five, if you guys have the book at home and have it ready yet and don't know kind of whether you think about it or not, or, you know, if you're at the bookstore and you want to flip through it, I highly recommend this page. But anyway, Agnes um, is, again, Shakespeare's wife. And um, this is, of course, a fictionalized version. It's the historical setting is accurate. And of course, there's a lot of accuracies in the book, but it's, of course, a fictionalized story. Um, many of you know Shakespeare had a son named Hamnet who died of the plague, and then Hamlet, the play, came out after that. Um, I learned through this book that the word that the names Hamnet and Hamlet were actually interchangeable in the 17th century. And, you know, again, we have Agnes and Anne, like I said earlier. And so there's a lot of duality going on in this book. Um, male and female, mothers and fathers, uh, wives and husbands. There's just the idea of um, creating sentiments underneath this umbrella of darkness, but also painting it in incredible color. And I think that's what, what she does. That's so great. But this particular scene, um, Agnes is holding her daughter's hand, Judith, um, the twin of Hamnet, they think is going to die from the plague also. Um, and Mary is watching Agnes, and that's Shakespeare's mother, um, who also has had multiple children and also multiple children um, pass away. She write, Hoferrell writes, Agnes is gripping the child's limp fingers. Mary sees, as if she is trying to tether her to life. She would keep her here, haul her back by will alone if she could. Mary knows this urge. She feels it. She has lived it. She is it, now and forever. She has been the mother on the pallet too many times. The woman trying to hold on, to keep a grip on her child, all in vain. What is given may be taken away at any time. 
Cruelty and devastation wait for you around corners, inside coffers, behind doors. They can leap out at you at any moment like a thief or brigand. The trick is never to let down your guard, never think you are safe. Never take for granted that your children's hearts beat, that they sup milk, that they draw breath, that they walk and speak and smile and argue and play. Never for a moment forget that they may be gone, snatched from you in the blink of an eye, borne away from you like thistledown. And just reading that again, it just sends such shivers down my spine. And I just love this portrayal of womanhood and motherhood in fiction. It's just uh, um, so special. And, um, and I wish it for you when you read it that you feel how special it is. The second book I'm going to recommend is quite different. Uh, many of you, as I'm sure, watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, but I'm not sure how many of you have actually ever read the book by written by Walter Titus. It might be Tevis, I'm not sure. Um, I hadn't read it. I didn't even know it was a book. Um, and then I read somebody, I can't remember what author said that they reread the book every year because it is an amazing example of how to move plot. And when you think about the show, if the, if you've watched the show, it is about chess. It is about a young chess phenom, a young woman, and going from her childhood to kind of her young adulthood. Um, orphan, of course, we're in an orphan story here. That's what makes great film. Um, everybody loves an orphan story from Harry Potter to Charles Dickens, right? Um, anyway, the point is, is that in the in the television show, the plot moved partly be so quickly and lovely because the setting and the visuals were so sumptuous and luxe. The clothes, the furniture, the the depiction of the 1960s, the early 1960s, as partic in particular Russia. I mean, you have all of this entire world uh, scope visually translated for you, and so. There's a lot to look at, even if the story is about chess. But in the novel, chess, the chess moves are paragraphs long, and you need to read them. And that's not quite the same thing as being distracted by a pretty dress or a really cool um, dangling light bulb that gives off that amber glow in the New York City apartment, whatever it is. In the book, you are in the moves of chess. And one of the most amazing things about this book is that it's really short. I mean, it tops out at 200 pages. I swear. It's probably like 215 or something, but there is not an extraneous word. There is not a chapter that, that exists just to give you backstory. It is all always moving forward at a pace that is quite surprising when you think about how sedentary the game of chess feels, especially for those of us who don't play it. I mean, my, my son always wants to play with me because I don't know how to play. So he wins every time. It makes him happy. But I think the other great thing about Queen's Gambit as a book is it's really a study in plot and how to keep a tight plot so that you don't stumble into backstory, into recollection, into all of these sorts of avenues you can go as a writer that you really stay focused on how to make your reader interested in a conflict on any pa every page. And if that conflict is not between human beings, that it is between um, the black and the white chess pieces themselves. 
I also think this could be a really interesting book for those of you who are kind of in a reading rut or a reading drought where you haven't picked up a book in a while. I mean, I know when I was a young mom with with little ones that it was really hard to stay focused on a longer book. Um, it was really hard to find the time to read. It was really hard to not feel guilty about taking the time to read. So a short book like this can really help you get wet again, get your feet wet again so that you can move fast, finish a book quickly, um, and then hopefully keep the momentum going to read something else or pick up something more dense or difficult. Um, and really also just keep that love of character and plot and all the things you love about books in your forefront as well. And I think that's what's powerful about this book too. And I think it's also, if you've seen the movie or the television series, excuse me, that you have a sense of some visuals already. So sometimes that just releases you from this notion of like, oh, I've got to create all of this stuff in my head and it, it's just too much and I haven't slept or whatever it is. You can pick up the book with that visual already in your head and you're not going to lose anything from knowing it. And in fact, it'll help you move through the book faster. And that again, will allow you the momentum pick to pick up your next book. So if you haven't read those two, I couldn't recommend them more. I think they're great. The second thing I want to talk about are two television shows. Um, and I think that the first one um, is part of the Small Axe movies that came out uh, by the director, Steve McQueen. Um, there were six in particular. Um, the one that I want to talk about is called Lover's Rock. I think that to me, if, you, if you're not going to watch all of them, watch that one. That is the place to start. The music alone is incredibly powerful. And I found myself, you know, just listening to all of it on Sonos and making a channel a station for it on my stream on Sonos because it was amazing. And um, did I say it's on Amazon Prime if you didn't know, but it's the small acts movies directed by Steve McQueen. And the one in particular I think you should watch is called Lover's Rock. It is so special. It's visually so lush and the dancing and music tell a story in the way that the dialogue doesn't. And there is not a lot of dialogue in this entire film. And I think that is also a great study for writers um, where you're telling the story by the world you're building and not necessarily by what the characters are saying. Um, and that is something that, of course, film and television get to do quite a bit that writers have to create that world. And it's really a testament if you could watch this film and then try to translate a scene into words, because I think that would be a great writing exercise. Um, there's a particular scene that I enjoyed so much and find myself thinking about all the time. And it takes place in the house, in the house party, which is the center, um, landscape of the of the film there's a house party going on and the DJs are playing very romantic lovers rock music and couples are dancing and men are singing in the ear of their partner and women and the women know every song and it's very sexual but it's also very sweet and the DJs then gradually move the music into a more visceral reggae powerful masculine drum beating um, music and the lovers then move to the side and the young 20 something men take their shirts off and sort of start 
um, a rhythmic thrashing in the middle of the same dance floors that the lovers once occupied. And in those two songs, you just saw the gamut of the human condition and how such a powerful moment can happen that, that they can coexist in the same stage on the same level. And it was such an incredibly powerful, special moment. I could cry thinking about it. It was um, done in such a masterful way. And I really, I've never seen anything like it portrayed in film. And I really recommend it for you. Um, I don't think you, if you don't have time to watch all five, like I said, this is the one that I think I would recommend to you. And as a writer, I would absolutely urge you to try to look at some of those scenes and write them as you saw them because there's so little dialogue in it. Um, it's all created by little bits of action and description. That's how, what moves the story along. And I think it's a great exercise for those of you who struggle with relying too heavily on dialogue. And I'm raising my own hand here. The second, um, show that I would definitely recommend if you haven't seen it before is um, Ted Lasso. I mean, I, I don't even know. Like, everybody's seen this, right? This is just, I have a hard time. In my book, in books, I can go very dark. I can read, like, a Hamnet was one of my favorite books about the plague and uh, the death of Shakespeare's son. I mean, I'm I'm in. I love it. But with television... I have a hard time going there right now. And I think it's because we're in this dark day, these dark days of pandemic, of environment, climate um, disaster. The flooding here on the in the Pacific Northwest is, is beyond, um, visually beyond anything I had imagined. And it's very hard for me to say, okay, it's time for me to turn a television show and disconnect for the day and put something really dark on. It just is not where I want to go. And so Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso, everybody, everywhere you went, Ted Lasso. I mean, it, it was just, have you watched it? Have you watched it? And then they're on the cover of the magazines and, and you're hearing about neat, you know, actors and actresses you didn't really hear of before. And all of a sudden they're on your wavelength and you're like, what is this show? And I do love fish out of water, um, stories. So this is definitely that. And for those of you who don't know, it's about an American football coach who becomes the coach of um, a soccer league or a football league in um, England. And it is, it's incessant positive energy. It, it go and the goes up again and again against the grit and despicable nature of some of the characters and wins and, and triumphs. And even though not every story ends in this like happy ending where, you know, the team wins and it's a very rocky moment, the, the triumph of the human spirit always wins and kindness matters and compassion matters and giving, um, people second chances matters. And you have all of these sentiments wrapped up in this very funny, um, British way. And I just absolutely adore it. And I, and I want everybody to watch it. Um, especially for those of you who might be struggling to figure out what to watch next, which is always my, my own struggle. Um, the next two favorite writing things of the month are going to be podcasts. And that's where I'll sort of end this, um, podcast for today. But if you are not following, what should I read next by Ann Vogel? I, 
Another thing I cannot recommend enough, she takes you through a person's sort of reading life. They talk about books they love so that she can recommend what they should read next. And for people who don't read outside of your genre, this is a wonderful podcast because it helps encourage you to move outside of things that you're comfortable with and try something new, um, either like fantasy or romance or mystery or fiction, um, contemporary fiction or classic fiction or nonfiction. She really moves you into exploring some other genres because she's so excited about all of these books that she's recommended. And then the people she's interviewing are very excited about the books that they love. And for any book lover out there and any writer out there, it's really intriguing to see what it is that people connect with and why they connect with it. And you can start to see strings and themes between all the books that they do love. And she takes them on to their next reading journey. She also has a journal out called My Reading Life, which I just purchased for myself. And so I'll let you know what I think of it. Um, I think it's going to be a really sweet little addition to any um, book lover's Christmas list. It looks really doable. It kind of looks like the notebooks I keep, like a bullet journal on what I read. And it kind of looks like she, she basically made one for all of us so you didn't have to make your own. The second um, favorite podcast for writers that of the month is going to be Ann Croker, Writing Coach. If you don't listen to Ann, um, you're missing out. There's a Midwestern sensibility about her I love. She really has a lot to say about platform, about planning, about um, moving your writing forward, um, about strengthening sentences. She covers the gamut. Her, her blog is a wealth of resources. Um, she's a wonderful interviewer, so you could listen to her standalone podcast or interview podcast. You're going to get a lot of information. Um, I also recommend her. Uh, she has this um, kind of a teachable course and also subscription called Your Platform Matters, where she talks to writers about, you know, starting podcasts, starting YouTube channels, um, moving outside of your comfort zone when it comes to putting yourself on social media because as writers we're very much introverts and I think it's hard for us to sort of imagine putting ourselves out to an audience we're content knowing that there's a reader out there holding our book in their hands less content and if we were in the same room with them and sometimes when our voices come over their ear pods it's a little too intimate for us um and she helps us get over that and helps us move into having a conscious and deep platform that we offer our readers so that is a place where they can understand why we want to create in this life and why we want to um build a successful connection with them and how to do that and i think she's a very special person on the internet that you should check out so i will leave all of the links to all of these things in the show notes and i wish you a wonderful holiday season if you're listening to this sometime in july you still could go out and buy those books or listen to those podcasts or watch those uh, television shows and you know you'll still be the better for it so keep sipping i'm having a little coffee today and keep writing above all else bye you guys